Were they all toasters? The internet was brought down by sentient toasters, basically. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to see what people are going to do, you just look at where their incentives are. Smart devices cannot be dumb. Let me me rephrase. Smart devices need to be built under the assumption that they need to continue to get smarter. Your thermostat should not be able to burn down your house. You will never be able to solve all the problems that are going to come up in the future. This is the thing about San Francisco, that like when you're here, you just don't get this wherever else you are. The future is not there. We're in the trillion zone. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Hey, Paul. Hey. So the internet was brought down basically by toasters. Right. Explain. Tell us more. So... By sentient toasters, basically. <laughs> <laughs> basically, there was a major internet outage because a DNS um, mm-hmm. server was 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 attacked by a botnet, mm-hmm. a botnet of IoT devices. So what happened is to back up a DNS is basically a switching system of the internet. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a telephone book that tells people how to yeah, get to yeah. the right, yeah. right place. If everybody calls at the same time, mm-hmm. it basically overwhelms the switchboard. So what happened is there are many, many Internet of Things devices out there, and several hundred thousand of them were hijacked to all basically call at the same time. Were they all toasters? <laughs> the joke is they're toasters, but probably they were more likely security cameras, baby mm-hmm. monitors, right, 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 right. just anything that has a way to call out. Mm-hmm. How were they all compromised? Like, were they all compromised with different compromises? Did people do like twenty different compromises to to build this up, or was it all like the same firmware, the same? Uh, so, so what happened was devices by one manufacturer were shipped very smartly with the way that you could reset the password, mm-hmm. so that they could, so that this couldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So many people did as they should, which is logged in to web app and change the password. Mm-hmm. Smart, right? Yeah. The issue is that there was a backdoor. Mm-hmm. That if you had Telnet or SSH access, mm-hmm. all these devices could still be accessed with their factory password. Oh wow, Telnet. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So all these people are duped. Yeah. It's basically they, this, they, they were told they were secured and that there actually wasn't. Yeah, you were right. told. You, it's like if you were sold a house where you locked the front door very sturdily, you got the master key changed, and then there's a back door which anybody can so the, get into. So it wasn't just that they were, you know, insecure to some sort of software attack that could get some some DNS DDoS going. It was actually that that they're insecure for their own purpose, like baby monitors over the internet. I'm not sure I understand you. So c- could people access the security cameras over the internet as a result of this? I don't know, to be honest. It seems likely. Uh, it's probably it seems like you could change the password. Or, or find out what the password was, or snoop it, or something like. Once you're in over SSH, yeah. So, so, so basically, all these devices are massively insecure. Right, and even right, if, right. even if you, even if you've reset the password multiple times, yeah, there's yeah, still yeah, this yeah, backdoor yeah. Okay. of of they're accessible anytime by a talent. Mm-hmm. So to me, this just seems at best an oversight, and at worst, malicious that a manufacturer could ship all these devices where people basically can lose control of them. I think it's difficult to look at this as malicious. Oh. The the analogy I would draw is it's like those hoverboards that were very popular and they exploded, 
So I, 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 like, I would use the phrase negligent, negligent, more, more, negligent. More, than, more than malicious. The Certainly shipping things these days without security built into it. Like as much as we talk about continuous delivery, you know, the, the, there is a baseline of security that you need in your model, and and, and typically, you know, the market kind of handles this to a certain extent. Like, you know, if if you ship a website and it doesn't have SSL, you know, people will not hopefully use it, at least for for security and passwords and that kind of thing. But in Internet of Things and things that you're shipping to consumers, you know, pe- people aren't used to needing security in their in their handheld devices, in their remote controls, and their televisions. So now that that's there, there is a low bar of security that that isn't being met. Yeah, and I think it's extremely negligent in a way that is similar, if not more harmful, than um, you know the, the whole Samsung Note scandal that just happened. Um, the Samsung Note is the one that caught fire. Yeah, that repeatedly caught fire and eventually yeah. just got completely banned from any plane. Right, right, right. That is actually easier to trace because you can look at a Samsung Note in somebody's hand and yeah. say like, you're not allowed to fly with that. Mm-hmm. These Internet of Things bots are more dangerous. So, a manufacturer made them. One manufacturer made made all these, Basically, and yes. then they were they were sold under lots of different brands. They were a subcomponent that then a lot of people embedded. Gotcha. Okay. So the manufacturer who made it was what, what were they making? Like, was it like a motherboard, a, a camera sensor? It was a it was a sensor that was embedded in a lot of different devices. Gotcha. Okay. So obvious continuous delivery question of like how, how does one end up in this problem? How does one deal with it? Like what is the situation there? I mean, in my opinion, I actually worked at one of our early IoT company before we called it IoT. Is this the plant one? Yeah, it's the plant one. <laughs> and, and and I'm sorry, it was before I met you, so I could not give you a plant T-shirt. Yeah, I know that 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 would have been amazing to go with my launch darkly T-shirt. Yeah, and by the way, it looks lovely on you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I had it know. tailored. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is how I, I first became into continuous delivery is we shipped a plant sensor which would measure the soil, the temperature, and the water of a plant. Mm-hmm. It had firmware in it that we could update. Right, okay. And this was actually very important to us to update because we were continually improving our algorithms. Mm-hmm. And you know, and of course, we made the really basic mistake if we we forgot about daylight savings time, okay, which everybody forgets for whatever yeah, yeah, reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, when we built this component deliberately, the firmware could be updated. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's very negligent that these devices were shipped where people cannot update the firmware that that changes the password. Who couldn't update the firmware? Uh, Anyone? I mean, it seems like the manufacturer could almost like root themselves to update the firmware. My understanding is they can't. Wow, okay. I guess I'm not surprised. Yeah. So in my opinion, these devices should all be recalled. Because they're just a lurking danger still out in the field. So I guess there's two layers of problem with the device. There's are attackers able to remotely take over and access private information which is being sent? And I would say that for a large class of things that is true. Yeah. And it sounds trivial. It's like, oh, who really cares about how often you brush your teeth? But I mean, actually, there are a lot of things that you do care about other people knowing. Oh, about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's sites full of people's baby monitors. You, you can tell when people are home, so that you know when to burgle their houses. You know, people have cameras in their living rooms, in their bedrooms. Like, there, there's definitely lots of stuff that people don't want to be sending out all over the internet. And if you assume that the people who are breaking into these are, you know, criminal gangs, which I think is correct, there's this big blackmail component at the very least. Yeah, my mind would be pretty boring. It would be sitting around reading. I think you could be blackmailed for that. <laughs> what is Edith reading this week? <laughs> Nothing that exciting. So 
The second layer of this is, can they be used to attack infrastructure? You know, can they be used just as, as DDoS devices? Well, a, a botnet. A botnet, exactly, yeah. So let's suppose that, the, that, that there wasn't the first layer, that there was no, no privacy or, or whatever implications uh, from this at all. No one could set your house on fire by turning the toaster on all the timers, something like that. And the only thing was botnet. Would we recall them then? I think we would, because it's basically, if, if, you, if you consider that a flammable device is a danger, mm-hmm. Sure, sure, but ignore the flammable. Yeah. So if you consider this botnet can at any time take mm-hmm. down a major component of the internet, mm-hmm. I mean, so there are cases where when the DNS server was down, like people's nests yeah. couldn't be used and they were overheating houses. You know, it was causing a real danger. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's, it's causing a danger, but it's quite a distance from the actual cause of the danger. You have to have a device that has to be rooted that then is botnetted to you know, take down DNS, which you know, isn't protected, and then someone else's nest goes down, or you know someone else's watch doesn't work, or someone doesn't you know their GPS directions don't work, or you know some, something along those lines. There's a long chain of causality, and at some point on chains of causality, you kind of you know it gets weaker and you stop at a certain point. I'm surprised you say that because I think the chain is very short. Well, it's different people's devices that are affected by this. The person's nest, which doesn't work, is not the same as the person who owned the botnet. Well, it could be in a bizarre twist. I mean, it could be. It could be. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, the more likely you're to have like the that, one... that would be hilarious. Like if the owner of a botnet, like the the you know the the mafia gangster of the botnet, had his house burned down by the nest. <laughs> Well, that, caused by the DNS outage. Well, it's like the, that old joke, you know, the, the call is coming from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Like literally, the call, like the reason why your internet is down is because you have a lot of IFT devices. Mm-hmm. Like, um, a friend of mine, he has a very high tech house. Like, mm-hmm. I, I went up. He has this beautiful weekend house that I stayed in once, and like literally, even the sink I think is IoT. It, oh, is, wow. it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then the sync doesn't work because the DNS is down. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous the amount of stuff that that doesn't work and, and should be tested against DNS and that sort of thing. But I I would just say that that's a failure in the nest more than anything else. Like your thermostat should not be able to burn down your house under any circumstances. Like if anything should be recalled in this situation, it's it's the nest. Oh really? I'm surprised. Well, I, I, and a thermostat can be burned down if someone else does a action which is entirely normal. Well, I think this goes back to I think so. Electrical devices are not regulated per se by the government, but there is a standard they have to meet. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot just make a device that's like I keep coming back to this that doesn't meet electrical standards sure. and sell it. Yep, yep. Like there's an expectation that people have that when you, for example, they buy a toaster, yep. and they plug it into the wall, that like it will not burst into flames. Sure, sure, sure. And that's why it will be recalled. And the mm-hmm. and I think. IoT is going to have to go to some sort of standards of similar conduct. Yes, but no. Talking about whether the nest should be recalled. Like the problem is not that the nest itself is is insecure. The problem is that under normal operating conditions, it has a risk of overheating. And I am including major internet outage as normal operating conditions because that's how the internet works. Yeah, I think I am agreeing with you. I guess mm-hmm. I'm pushing a little bit on. Do you think these botnets should be regulated? Right, right. So that, that's the other question. I think regulated is a, is a good response to it. Right. If you look at this from a manufacturer's perspective, there's no way they're going to recall it. 
There's, I mean, it's kind of a, a tragedy of a commons is mm-hmm. that right now they have no financial incentive. Right, 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 right. To to not make these insecure yeah. devices. If, if you want to see what people are going to do, you just look at where their incentives are. Yeah. They, they will absolutely not recall it. They may issue a patch if possible, but then no one will apply it anyway because that's not where people's incentives are either. I mean, frankly, the people who were responsible were not the ones who were affected. Yeah. So they have no incentives at all to fix it. And they're and they're probably unknowing. Right. Yeah. 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 Getting a patch out there probably requires dealing with all of their customers, getting all of their customers to send marketing materials or, or you know doing a recall or whatever, which they have no incentive for. So like the, the, there's multiple steps on the chain, none of whom have any incentive to fix the problem. Yeah, that, that, that's totally the tragedy of the commons. Then right. is that the and and that's the situation that that you want regulation in. Well, regulation, whether within the industry or, or well, or, I, I, yeah. I just mean like you know, as as a principle, you know, when markets cannot solve a thing by themselves, you you typically need regulation if uh, in order to accomplish it. Yeah, you may also need regulation in the event that a market are accomplishing things by themselves. I'm not taking a extremely libertarian stance here, but when the incentives are badly aligned, that's typically where where regulation comes in. Yeah. I think it comes back to something. It's funny because so I remember one of our very first episodes, we were talking about what should or shouldn't have continuous delivery. Mm-hmm. And I actually disagree with you then because you said even a, a gas meter, like a gas station pump, should yeah. have continuous delivery. And, and that's actually why that's the the background of our of our Twitter account. Uh-huh. And now I've come around to your point of view. I, I think the the fact that anything can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Means right. Yeah. Everything is vulnerable. Like it's not. It's not can be. Yeah. That means that it must be updatable. Right. If it runs software, it is vulnerable. Yeah. And to be honest, this Telnet bug is the one that's happening right now. There might be something that happens in the future that is completely different. So right, right. You, you can't. It is not possible to know everything that can go bad. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you must be able to update. Yep. That but, that is exactly it. Yeah. So the same with the nests with the DNS failure. Like yep. they must be updatable. Right. Guarantee the nests are updatable. So, so, this this so, so, creates so. quite a challenge because whenever you buy a device, the first thing you need to do is set up its Wi-Fi. Yep. And you kind of wonder, like, why does my smart toaster need Wi-Fi? <laughs> and for most devices, the only thing that they need Wi-Fi for is to reach the NTP server, the the, the date time updating time zone server. But of course, they also need it to, to update. But neither of those are particularly useful to end users. So if you buy a thing and then you're like, why do I need to set up on the Wi Fi? Well, as long as you're not on the Wi Fi, you're fine because then it can't be hijacked. Yes, true. Like then you're not vulnerable. Right, right, right. Like right. Then, you're, then you're not an Internet of Thing, you're just a thing. But you need to be on the Wi Fi to get your dates updated. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think Internet of Things is becoming more pervasive. I mean, I know people are already talking about smart refrigerators mm-hmm. that can sense when you're low on something to reorder. Yep, that would be awful. The reordering or the the smart refrigerators or them being hijacked? I just all of it just seems like a <laughs> fucking disaster. <laughs> Why? Why? I don't, I don't know. It's just like complexity everywhere. <laughs> you're a simple guy. Well, it's just like the. Do you remember when your parents couldn't use the VCR? Uh, Probably not your parents. No. Okay. My, my, they actually donated. Uh, when my mom visited me, she was proud because they donated um, books mm-hmm. to the. Um, they'd found in our attic of uh, one of the first computers. Okay. Like the manuals from it. 
Wow. They know they donated it to the Computer History Museum in uh, Mountain View. So, okay. So so yes, they could set the time on their VCR. I think I, I probably shouldn't use your parents as the. They, as they, the they also here. were the people who could like set it so that it could record programs when they were away. And by the way, it was also beta VCR. There is a cliche, a stereotype of that was people parents. who cannot use their VCRs. <laughs> And at this point, I've forgotten even where I was going with this. You're talking about smart fridges, and you said they were awful. Right, yeah, okay. So the level of complexity in all of these smart devices and the combined complexity of all the smart devices is just exhausting. Yeah. Like, I have no interest in an Apple Watch because it's just just another thing. I think many people are are with you on that one. The Apple Mm -hmm. Watch is kind of flopping. I do think stuff like um, Snapchat seems like they're going to make a good go of it with their uh, smart glasses. Snapchat is a really good example of, like, Snapchat is the analogy I make for people whose parents can't use VCRs. Like, for my generation, Snapchat is the VCR. (laughs) I can use Snapchat from a UI perspective, or if I remember which way to drag the to drag the thing and the the exact path between you know seeing people's stories updates and like you go left and then you go up and then you go left and they can message people. It's insane, <laughs> but I don't I don't understand Snapchat as a as a network, and I feel that like the smart fridges, the smart fucking everything is it's, it's all the same. I'm just. I can imagine myself sitting in a house full of smart devices going, nothing is fucking working. <laughs> the fridge is non, and now I need to get out like my my console and, and Python and to like figure out why it's not working. <laughs> well, so are you even against smart cars then? I mean, because they're coming. I see them driving around the San Francisco and they're they're So they're I'm here. I'm pro smart cars, and that's just because people are stupid. But no one dies if you misuse your existing fridge. Well, you might get botulinus, you know. Uh, yeah, food I mean, poisoning. It's, yeah, you might get food poisoning. Yeah, because like if you if it's thawing out your chicken and refreezing it repeatedly, you're gonna. That's bad. <laughs> it is difficult for a normal human to uh, abuse their fridge so much that that happens. Whereas it is very very easy for a normal human to like kill another human with the multi ton vehicle that they drive around. Yeah. While sleepy and drunk and whatever else. Or just. You know, cranky. Or rage, yeah, or rage, just road a rage. No- huh? Road rage. Road rage, or or just kind of like vaguely look in the wrong direction for a half a second too long. It's insane that we ever let people drive cars. I don't own a car anymore, but um, it is interesting to see the smart cars driving around San Francisco and be like, "Wow, the future is here." Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is the thing about San Francisco that, like, when you're here, you, you just don't get this wherever else you are. The future is not there. It is interesting, though. Um. I think software is far more pervasive and will continue to be far more pervasive than anybody right now thinks about. I think that except um, Mark Andreessen. Oh well, yeah. I'm 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 not Andreessen. I'm not Horowitz either. No, no, no. But like, (laughs) I feel that like there's a level of thinking about the future that that we are we're we're like two steps removed from it. (laughs) I think people don't realize how much software is already part of their everyday life Mm -hmm. and that it will continue. And this is why I feel so strongly about that these IoT devices need to be regulated and governed mm-hmm. is because they will continue to have an impact on people's lives. Right, right, right. I mean, if you take the principle of there's no incentive structure for it to happen right now, and therefore you need regulation because downsides can, can happen, and both privacy downsides as well as infrastructural downsides, then yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I guess the downside is that whenever whenever you look at these regulations, they always come in terrible. 
<laughs> I'm not saying a government regulation. It could just be industry Industries, groups. South America. Yeah, I mean that that's the way it is with um, electrical devices. But there does need to be an understanding that it is not okay to sell something mm-hmm. that cannot be updated. Or if you want to sell something, it must be updatable because the threats and use cases that we right. know of today, anything that anything that connects to the internet must be updatable. Yeah, because the yeah. threats and, and to go back to yours, the use cases that you know today mm-hmm. are going to be different. Right. You cannot know every edge case. You cannot know every error. Yeah. Like um, even with the self-driving cars, I mean, like they're, they they need to be able to be continually updated. Like right, 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 right. like because it's going to come out that oh, in this one. One out of every five million, like this weird edge case happens, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, oh well, self-driving cars will undoubtedly be updatable. Yeah, I mean, they the must. Te- be. Teslas already are. Yeah, they yeah. must be. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to Adrian Cockcroft and um, smart, smart dude, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at AWS now, and he was talking about just the shift of how Tesla was doing so much better because they're used to updating mm-hmm. versus Mercedes, mm-hmm. which is used to making a car and yeah, making yeah, a new yeah, model yeah, every yeah. seven years. Yeah. And just the tectonic shift in thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be in the car industry right now. Well, because if you're if you're used to, hey, we're gonna ship a new model at best every ten years. Yeah, and it's like built it, throughout their, their entire organization. Like no one is thinking about like what what happens or how, how does the entire company get oriented around the idea of software that updates itself. Yeah, particularly when you're used to like. Um, so I wrote my econ thesis on the car industry. Oh, on Jaguar. The car industry is built around stability mm-hmm. and manufacturing the same thing over and over and over and over. Right. It is the opposite, and it's funny because lean startup did kind of come out of Toyota. Toyota, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, they're not used to revving a car every day. Right, right, right. So it's it, it's interesting to look at how deep you have to go in the understanding of how to build a car to make one that's updatable. So Tesla was shipping hardware that wasn't used. Because they knew that they would use it later when the software got there. That's a crazy level of forward planning that you just you can't do if you're if you're not in that mindset. Yeah, and it's um I think we touched on this when Scott Rainey visited us. The Air Force is having a lot of trouble right now because they basically built a plane where the software doesn't work. Uh, I I can't even understand. There's something so wrong with this thing. Yeah, so like the the pilot literally cannot take off because like all the different systems don't talk to each other. Right, right, right. And all, avionics right now is very software heavy. Yeah, yeah. Like the old days of fly by wire are just dead. Yeah, absolutely. So that's great, and this goes back to your example. That's great mm-hmm. until you're sitting in a basically a two trillion dollar paperweight. Right. Well, not trillion, but no, you know, it's, it's it, trillion. Yeah. Paper, yeah, yeah. Paperweight. Yeah, yeah. A very expensive, very large paperweight. Yeah, oh, think what could have been done with those two trillion. <laughs> I gotta look up the exact number. No, I mean it's, it might not be two trillion, but it's we're we're in the we're in the trillion yeah. zone. Yeah, yeah. Planes are expensive. Like Air Force planes are quite expensive. The incentives of the military-industrial complex are expensive. <laughs> I think this is interesting. I think it it makes me think more about the ramifications of smart devices cannot be dumb. Let, let, let me let me rephrase. Smart devices need to be built under the assumption that they need to continue to get smarter. Right, right, right. The, and I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for a Terminator-style scenario where they get smarter than us. Well, so you end up with a with a problem where even if they are updatable, there's not necessarily an incentive for them to be updated. So hard, hardware manufacturers typically, you know, make money from selling new hardware. Yep. Right. Um, and the components manufacturers the same. There, there isn't really money in something that that you've already shipped and that you've already sold. 
Yeah. So at my plant company, we tried to get around this by um, charging people for <laughs> literally for fertilizer. Mm. So like we said, if you want to get fertilizer information, you pay us a dollar a month. So there's a very good blog post. Do you know Bolt? They're a, a hardware VC. Oh yeah. Um, they have a really good blog post about about business models of hardware. Yeah. And basically, selling consumables is great. Only where the consumable is. The thing that you want to consume. So selling coffee as your consumable for in a Keurig is is great because people expect to to buy coffee. Oh man, I go through so much Keurig. Right, but selling toner or selling blades in the Gillette model is not the thing that people actually want. So people feel ripped off by their blades or by their toner because the thing that they want is is paper to come out or is you know a, a shaving. The smoothness. <laughs> um, anyway, so so hardware business models are fascinating, and oh, yeah. there, there's a bunch of VCs. I think all the VCs are mostly will not invest in a hardware business model that does not have a recurring revenue component. Yeah, I mean, I felt this firsthand. So the plant company, so we sold the devices, and the idea was always that we would generate ancillary revenue somewhere. So one of the things we tried was recommending plants. And the issue was we could recommend plants, then we um, we were going to refer people to like Burpee and get a cut for Burpee. Mm-hmm. And this was back oh like 2005. No, two, this was in 2007 or 2008. And Burpee is just like we don't care if you refer us a lot of business. We're kind of this old line, a hundred year old seed company. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give you a cut. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Could you sell the seeds yourself? We we investigated doing that, but just logistically we didn't have it. Oh, what you should have done is a subscription model where, where <laughs> you get to see a plant a month. Yeah, plant a month. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know that's brilliant. Yeah, so we we even started to look at the plant stuff, but there's actually a ton of this goes back. There's a ton of regulation around plants. Oh, really? Yeah, like what plants could be shipped to which states? Uh, of course, yeah, is actually uh, a huge deal. There, yeah, there's yeah. all these agricultural rules about that. So oh, we started we started to walk God. down that, and we're like, we don't have enough funding to build a supply chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even for like little seed packets, even for seed packets, you can't. There's a lot of a lot of stuff around that. So, you know, to, to completely backseat drive your your decisions of ten years ago, <laughs> um, I wonder if you could have uh, experimented and validated on the business model without building the entire supply chain. So, for example, well, look, so look at all your customers. Like fifty percent are in California. So, like, so we were experimenting by sending the traffic to Burpee. Oh, okay, right. right. Oh, so was there enough at the time? No, gotcha. So, I mean, we. We shipped enough devices that like four percent of people were actually clicking, but it still was it was not enough. Okay. Like we had to keep shipping a lot more devices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean you want more of a drop cam model where to get value from your from your thing that everyone must buy from you. Keurig is the same. Yeah. And you know, we shipped enough to devices that we sold a million in the first year, but that was hmm. not enough to sell. That is a lot. Yeah, it was really yeah, fun. Holy shit. A million a uh, million dollars worth. Not a million dollars worth. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun because yeah. um, I get to do all the marketing because um, it was these hardware dudes who'd built the device and I joined as their first full time product manager in marketing. Uh-huh. And they didn't know anything about marketing, but I got to do all this stuff. Like I got to do the Google AdWords. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got to do Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. I got to experiment with anything I wanted. How did you end up as a marketer from having a CS degree? A long chain of events. Well, number one, I got an engineering degree. Oh, okay. And um, well, no, I'll tell you. An engineer sees a problem field, a new problem field, and thinks mm-hmm. they can attack it. So I was just like, okay, we don't have any marketing. Mm-hmm. I'd come from a company that had a very successful Google Ads campaigns, mm-hmm. very successful 
and I was like, okay, I'll just go build the Google Ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hubris of an engineer is you think. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, I can do anything. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh. that's why you get a lot of engineers starting companies because <laughs> the hubris. Yeah, it's just like, oh, sure. How hard can it be? Turns out it's very hard. So I went to Harvey Mudd College and. It was really hard. Like it was at the time ranked the number one school in the states, mm-hmm. and they would just throw really hard problems at us. Mm-hmm. You know, not only learn this thing, but learn how to program to solve it, and that was really good training for life. Mm. So it's like, okay, I'll just go learn how to do that. So, do you think that all of these IoT companies can learn to ship software updatable firmwares? I hope so. And I think the number one thing to keep coming back on is you will never be able to solve all the problems that are going to come up in the future. Mm-hmm. So all you can do is plan for updatable devices. I would say that in order for firmware manufacturers to have the incentives in the right place, they need a cut of the ongoing revenue from their components. Yep. Or at least a support contract. Yep. Which is paid for by the ongoing. And every every component needs a support contract so that they will have and that they Guarantee that they will address security concerns. Well, it's kind of like when people start a coal mine, they have to pay into a super fund. Mm, exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I'm serious. Like, it's like yeah. okay, this is a guarantee against any future disaster that you're paying into it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, people would open a coal mine. Yep, and and did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this thing wasn't created by an accident. I mean, it was created as a result of an accident, no doubt. But there's been a, a long history of mining disasters. Yeah. Well, Paul, it was fun as always to talk to you today. Sorry, no chocolate. This was a little bit of a last minute podcast. Yeah, well, hopefully next time we talk, it will be under better circumstances. Me too. Me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Thank you.